was the weekend that saw Arsene Wenger and Alex Ferguson reunited, but the same old result. No one wants to lose down the bottom of the table, and so we are none the wiser. And Barcelona, well, they're still being Barcelona. All that and more coming up on the Totally Football Show. Right then, Jimbo's away in the Philippines for the next few shows with the world's strongest men, apparently. He just can't get enough of men in Lycra. And nor can our first guest, Matt Davis, commentator for Chelsea TV and host of our Parts Unknown Wrestling podcast. Have you ever worn it yourself? Not the podcast, but but Lycra. Um, I don't think I have, Caroline, which is strange, really, because um, I ought to do it when I'm hosting the show, I guess. Maybe that's something that Ben could arrange for future episodes. It certainly add a bit more realism to uh, to Parts Unknown. The, the breathable version though yeah well, it got to be in a studio like this yeah, yeah not not me. the cheap one that you walk in front of a fire and it all goes up <laughs> uh, michael cox is author of the mixer and a man for whom christmas just isn't christmas unless he's watching world's strongest man yeah that's right that's right but it throws me that he's off in april recording it for december it feels wrong to me it's too big a gap Emma Saunders is also here. Emma's from BBC London and Five Live and the Match Day Stadium announcer at Watford. Congratulations on all of the above. Many thanks. And never mind the like where you dressed all Harry Potter last week, didn't oh, you? Yeah, there's no quick way of going into this. I'll try, though. Uh, the Watford FC Community Trust had an event um, on Thursday evening at the Warner Brothers Studios, so a.k.a. Harry Potter World, uh, as we know it, in Watford. And it was great. I had to stand there in a Gryffindor cloak uh, for six hours, presenting, hosting the evening, raising money uh, for the Community Trust. Just very surreal. From the moment you walked in, they said, well, we usually have the Goblet of Fire. Uh, The Premier League trophy will be there today. And uh, we need you on platform nine and three quarters by 10.30 of the silent auction results. The the whole thing was very bizarre. Ian Irving's also here from Premier League TV and the Bottom Line podcast. That's Bottom as in Danny Higginbottom, although it is actually Higginbotham. Botham, yeah. So yeah. it's not. He doesn't really care. Doesn't he? But I, I care. I do care. Botham is correct. Bottom right. is incorrect. But it's fine. Anyway, uh, the podcast that's all about football in the northwest, and that's where we shall start. Manchester United 2, Arsenal 1. Mr Cox, enjoy this one? No, I didn't think it was a great game, to be honest. I mean, neither side have really got much to play for in the Premier League. And it was one of those games where, you know, whenever there's some kind of presentation or event before the game, the game itself sometimes seems to take a bit of a back seat. So it was, uh, no, it was a bit of a flat game, really. Shall we talk about the presentation then? Because this could, uh, well, we could talk about injury time winners. We could talk about Arsene Wenger's last one at at Old Trafford. But we will talk about this beautiful, explain it, Ian, you were there. What did it look like? I didn't see it at the time um, because it was in like a presentation box, but I was told afterwards and I've since seen the pictures like everyone else has seen on social media. It was like a silver vase, wasn't it? I mean, I I don't know what Wenger's choice of flower is to go in that vase, but I'm sure it's going to look lovely somewhere. I actually thought it was a really nice touch. I know there's been sort of mixed reaction to it, to say the least. Um, Maybe from Jose Mourinho, I can understand why that might be seen more cynically, but from Sir Alex Ferguson, I was literally as close as, as we are now uh, a metre or two away from the actual presentation taking place. And even after the the bit sort of pitch side had happened, um, Sir Alex walked off the pitch and he was still sort of applauding and saluting Wenger as he walked past as well. I don't think it was anything other than genuine. I know there was, seems to be some question marks about that. And I, I thought it was a really nice touch. The, the fans at Old Trafford clapped Wenger down the touchline as well. Um, and, I mean, he sort of joked that it was because... People no longer see him as a threat, so they salute him. But he was a threat for such a long time to United. I thought the whole thing was was done very well, actually. Matt, you're a fan of the old presentations beforehand? Um, it, it looked a bit no. awkward, didn't it, for, for anyone that, that hasn't seen it or 
heard the beautiful description just there. It, it's kind of Sir Alex with his arm round to Arsene Wenger. They present it, and then Jose Mourinho kind of steps in at one point as if he's not supposed to be in the photo, but it's going to try and get in the photo. And well, classic no Jose. Yeah. Oh no, this isn't about me. But okay, let's make it about me and bring me in for a little while. Um, I thought it's probably better to do that kind of thing after the game, like Michael says. It does tend to become a bit of a distraction, but. As Wenger alluded to, like Ian said, it happened because he's not a threat. Um, they won't be doing that for Pep Guardiola if he stays at Man City for 22 years, will they? So it just felt a little bit hollow in that respect. I mean, it's quite a nice thing to do, I suppose. Um, they, they are a classy club, genuinely Manchester United. Um, and Wenger seemed sort of vaguely embarrassed by it. But it, it was just a bit of, hey, let's get this on camera before kickoff. Look at Fergie. He's forgotten it all now. Uh, they're, they're great mates, these two. It, it, just a little bit, a little bit try hard. And I thought Wenger summed it up beautifully when he said, yeah, they, would, they wouldn't be giving me this, basically, if I was winning the league. And I think that's true. Michael, this kind of saying goodbye to Arsenal Wenger. Arsenal can't win away from home in 2018. I know they stuck out like the youngest average team in the in the Premier League and I, and I know they made changes ahead of what's happening in Europe this week, but that's pretty poor. Yeah, it's a dreadful record. I mean, especially when you think back to uh, you know, when they won the title in 2002, they went unbeaten away from home and that was the first time that had been done. And so they kind of started this trend of being as good away from home as you are at home and that's been completely reversed. Which is peculiar that their home form would be so good because it's not that the Emirates is a particularly intimidating atmosphere for away teams. So I don't know what that is. I think it's one of those things that it starts as just a, just a bit of a coincidence and then because it becomes a thing, it gets into players' heads and maybe they are thinking about it now. But it's, I mean, to not get a single point, I think they've got the 15th best away record in the league this year or something mm. like that. So absolutely abysmal. Yeah. I thought they were unlucky actually to, to go away with nothing because I was quite impressed by them. I actually really enjoyed watching some of the other players play for Arsenal that we've not really seen a great deal of. I thought Ainsley Maitland-Niles was absolutely excellent in midfield. He's caught the eye uh, a few times already this season, but yesterday in particular, I noticed that Paul Pogba sort of grabbed hold of him at the end of the game, had his arm around him and sort of talking to him, which I presume was complimenting him on, on the game that he'd had, maybe even suggesting that perhaps he might see a future... Um, up the M6 at Old Trafford as well, possibly. I don't know, Agent P has, has been dubbed by United fans before. Uh, also as well, um, Mavropanos as well in in, uh, in defence was great. He, he had the better of Romelu Lukaku for most of that game, which considering uh, the striker that Lukaku is and also you know the physical presence that comes with that with Lukaku, he dealt with that really, really well. Uh, considering that was his debut, so and and not only that, really, just generally the structure of Arsenal was pretty good. You know, considering those players won't have played together a lot, considering they were playing in uh, you know a big arena and a sort of significant match as well. The way that they all acquitted themselves together as a team, I thought was excellent. The structure of the team, the organisation was pretty sound. So, out of those what eight changes, did any of them get back in the team for Thursday in Europa League? Uh, well, I think Mkhitaryan. If he's fit, you know, if he's fit enough to start again, I think he will. I think Arsenal have to take the game to Atletico. They need to score, um, which is going to be tough because Atletico's defensive record is ridiculously good. They conceded four at home in the legal season. It sounds even better when you say 11 clean sheets in a row, I think, rather than the four all season. Um, so it's going to be tough for Arsenal. They need attacking players. So, yeah, I think Mkhitaryan will start. I'd be surprised if Fenger goes for Mavropanos. I think he'll go back to Mustafi and Koscielny despite last, week, uh, last week's mistake. Um, yeah, I think he'll be back to the A team for Arsenal. What about you, Emma? Maitland Niles. I know we've mentioned him um, already, but I thought very impressive. I think he was man of the match, wasn't he, as well? There's lots of word on Twitter, Pogba in his pocket. Um, some of those tackles he made 
why not? Such a big occasion to let him loose out there. It makes you wonder, I think, uh, Wenger's comments ahead of that one. Um, it was the worst possible result, he said, at the Emirates. So they've almost got nothing to lose going into this. And a fearless young player like that, I'd play him. Yeah, I mean, nothing to lose to an extent, but you don't want them obviously to lose three or four nil. And then, you know, that's kind of, um, that could be quite scarring for somebody like Maitland-Niles, I guess. You don't want the, the, the Wenger farewell tour to finish in the style that the last few seasons have. So, you know, losing at Old Trafford, uh, what happened in the first leg last week when they should have been four or five goals up and, you know, it's 1-1. It's a really, really difficult game for Arsenal. It's a really difficult team to select as well. I think it would be a big call, though, to go with Mustafi and, and Koscielny again because... I mean, is Koscielny fit, for one thing? No, he's not. I mean, his Achilles problems affect him so badly the last couple of years. And I think it affects him particularly badly because of the type of centre-back he is. He's not big, he's not strong. He's someone who's all about mobility and he doesn't have that anymore. And I think that's been... He hasn't made as many individual errors as Mustafi, but he was meant to be the defensive leader. And I think he's been really uncomfortable, made a lot of mistakes. And, you know, that, that error last week in the Europa League was just unforgivable. Uh, speaking of the Europa League... Your old fella, Sean Dyche, uh, at Watford, as opposed to anything else that that might have sounded like. Burnley nil, Brighton nil. Burnley then pretty much assured of European football, just the the one point needed from their final two games. I say just the one, Arsenal and Bournemouth, for that. For Burnley, is this where you expected them to be, Emma, this season? When you, you saw that he'd gone there, you thought, Europa League... He's done a good job there, Sean Dyche. A lot of people are saying, well, it's not been that pretty. You know, they've not won too many games by two, three, four goals. You know, a lot of the time they just nicked it one nil. But, you know, he's done the job. The situation in the Premier League this year, it's been extraordinary. There's been a lot of teams that are below average and he's just pulled off the quite almost simple task of being just slightly above average. There's not too many teams that have been this season. I mean, they were held to a goalless draw at at the weekend, but that European tour does look like it's happening. It's it's great for Sean Dyche in terms of an opportunity for him. It was was odd, I thought, that he didn't get the Everton job earlier in the season or that he didn't even get an interview for it. Um, If he can get a successful Europa League campaign, which would be, I don't know, say getting to the last 16, getting out of the group stage, certainly, next season, then, then that will mean much more in terms of enhancing his CV than finishing seventh again next season with Burnley um, because he'll be able to take it to a, a chairman of a, a big six club or whatever you like and say, look, I've, I've got this very short but European pedigree that, that I've shown that I can mix it up with, with um, continental teams as well as teams in the Premier League. But it's important that they get their recruitment right. They tend to kind of replace players rather than supplement the squad that they've mm. got because he likes to have a pretty fixed first 11, certainly um, an 18-man squad. Um, so they're going to need to add players who are going to play 20 games for the next season rather than 45 games next season and that can be quite difficult to do so that, that'll be key for them. Michael do you, do you back up Matt and what he was saying and, and, and say that Sean Dyche has, has maybe got to bag some of that European experience first before moving on? Uh, I can't really see how he'll get a bigger job to be honest Sean Dyche I think the style of football he's he's played at Burnley has been very effective but you know even Everton you, you look at the descent they're showing towards Allardyce and I think Dyche is to a certain extent the most the next Allardyce in terms of he's very solid, he's very defensive, he's back to basics, he does a good job. But it would be nice to see him get a, an opportunity higher up the league. But if you're a chairman, if you're an Arsenal chairman, you're going to take a chance on Dyche, really, with that kind of football? I think, so I think, there's, there's two things in that. You're saying that Burnley are never going to be as big as Arsenal. Which is yeah, I'll go for it, yeah. And, and that Sean Dyche will never go to a bigger club than Burnley. Well, I think you could go to a bigger club, but a bigger club in terms of maybe someone like Newcastle or Southampton. But one of the one of the big jobs, I don't think clubs like that appoint managers who have a history of 
playing that kind of football anymore. Are they wrong? Sean Dyche, though. It doesn't happen. Sorry to interrupt. Sean Dyche insists that he plays this style of football because that's the tools that he's got to work with. He, he insists that that's, that's why he plays this way. And if so, it was different, he would play differently. And actually, you probably know this better than me, Michael, but this year they have been a little bit more... I'm going to use the word expansive, which is maybe going a little bit too far, but they have played a bit more football. There's been one example which has been quoted all season, which was the goal that they scored at Everton back in sort of the early stages of the season, which from memory was something like 24 passes in a move, which is not is not sort of typical Burnley of this season. But do you not think that they've played a bit more this year? No, they have been a bit more expansive. I agree with that. But the other person who said all his career that he would play better football with better players is Allardyce. And look what's happened to Everton. You know, I don't doubt that, that Dyche is a flexible coach and he could go elsewhere. My issue is more that people always say, oh, he will deserve a chance. But if you're a chairman, do you go for someone who's got a track record of playing good football or a track record of someone who's uh, played quite negative football but says they can play good football? I just think you always go for the, yeah, the guy who's true. worked that way before. The, the next step's really key, I think, for Sean Dyche. What he's managed to do at Burnley is he's made the club his own. That dressing room is his dressing room. Mm. I have never been to a football club where the consistency in personality throughout the squad is like it is at Burnley. Every single one of them, almost without exception, is a good egg, if you know what I mean by that. They're all lovely lads. They're down to earth. They know what they are. They know what they're good at. They're all talented footballers in their own right. You only need to look at the examples of, of Nick Pope and James Tarkovsky this season to see as well that the quality that is there um, in, in the ranks. And, and they were sort of players on the periphery of the squad, obviously, at the start of the season as well. But what he's done is he's sort of created a club and a team and a squad and a mood there that's very much in his own image. It's all about him in many ways. Um, and obviously the next step, wherever he goes next, that will be a, a much bigger challenge. And whether he'll be able to do that exactly the same again, mm. I'm not too sure. So the next step for him really is key, I think. We are about four hours in, but Emma, you know him personally yeah. from, from working with him for so long at Watford. I just wanted to add to that as well, though. I don't want to take anything away from Sean Dyche because as a manager, the job he does... Um, is outstanding. There's, you can't take away from that at all. And I think he could have stayed on longer at Watford. It was just bad timing for him in that the new ownership meant um, they had a clear out essentially and mm. he wasn't part of the plans um, going forward. But I do think it would be interesting to see where he does go next if he does go to a bigger club, in inverted commas, that has these egos, should we say, bigger personalities because I think he struck gold at Burnley in the, from what I've seen, um, particularly when they were at Vicarage Road a couple of weeks ago, um, just when they were congregating in the tunnel beforehand, it was clear that there doesn't appear to be too many egos in this side. They're all friends by the looks of it. You could see there was a real team spirit there. And I think that shows on the pitch. So it'll be interesting to see how Sean Dyche settles into a bigger club and how he deals with these egos, because I, I don't think he's had that at Burnley from what we can tell on the outside looking in. Listeners, our partnership with Paddy Power helps to keep this podcast free. And speaking of free, when you join Paddy's Rewards Club, every time you place five bets of £10 or more on any sport in a single week, Paddy will give you a free £10 bet the following week. Sign up now at paddypower.com. T's and C's apply, max £10 bonus per person per week, specific odds required. Exclude shops and cashed out bets. 18 plus only, be gamblerware.org and when the fun stops, stop. Now, does anyone here like pretending they're a football manager? Yes. 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 Do you like touching things? 
Yes. 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 Well, we've teamed up with Football Manager to offer you the chance to win a Nintendo Switch and a copy of Football Manager Touch 2018 to play it on. Head over to the Totally Football Show Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash the Totally Football Show to find out how to enter. Right, let's take a look down the crinkly bottom. Although not really for Crystal Palace. Crystal Palace 5, Leicester Nil, Palace up to the obscurity of mid-table in 11th, Matt Davis. Yeah, we've, I mean, we've heaped praise on Sean Dyche and rightly so. Uh, you know, Palace lost their first seven games. They won one of 13 and they've stayed up comfortably. So Roy Hodgson deserves some some credit for that as well. The, the go-to thing is to say, well, it's Wilfred Zaha plus 10 others, but that, that wouldn't get them to the position that they're in now. They were absolutely terrific in this game. And not, not just Zaha, uh, Loftus-Cheek as well, or James MacArthur, Milivojevic, who's had a terrific season. Um, I sort of don't think enough's been said about what Roy Hodgson's done at Palace this season. It's been it's been great. It'll be his turn this week, definitely. We've had we've had Sean Dice, manager of the year, we've had Pep Guardiola, manager of the year, we even had Rafa Benitez, manager of the year a couple of weeks ago. I think this week will be the shout that Roy Hodgson's manager of the year because of the turnaround that he's produced at Selhurst Park. And and like you say, it's a lot more than just Wilfred Zaha. Yes, he is the standout player, but um, you know, they've they've got some really talented footballers there. And I'd be really interested now to see what Loftus Cheek uh, does in the remainder of this mm. season because especially with the injury to Oxlade-Chamberlain I think he's got a chance of making the, the World Cup squad. The move for the first one I thought was a lovely sweeping goal. It reminded me a bit of a rugby move. I'm not a big rugby fan but you know in a rugby when you basically sweep the ball from one side to the other and you've got a man advantage on the far side they just had so many players forward in the box and people don't associate that with Roy Hodgson's football but I think he's a manager who you know when he's got good attacking talents he likes them to get into a, a good defensive shape but gives them freedom when they go forward and yeah, I'm really pleased they're, they're staying up because I really enjoy going to Selhurst. Great atmosphere. And I think they're a side who can do something next season. I don't think they'll be involved in relegation battle next year. I think they'll be, you know, going for a, a, as Burnley have done this year. I think as well, Palace had that up their sleeve for a little while. Do you remember they had that run of games, Chelsea, Spurs? And actually, even though they were defeated, it was only in the last few moments of those matches. Mm. Up until that point, they'd really matched these top sides. So when a Leicester came to town, who aren't quite as good as these sides, but up there, as soon as Palace got going, and, and as we said, they were linking up so nicely as such a good team performance. Perhaps it was a confidence crisis at the start as well, when when they were 007, as we said, uh, winless, goalless uh, in their first seven. But what a turnaround it has been. I think most people had written them off really in October and they're 11th now. On, on the flip side of that, Leicester, Roll in the Leicester. I haven't checked in the last half hour, but pretty much most of the last 24 hours, Puel out has, has been trending on social media. I feel really sorry for him in a way. Um, I, I know result it's a results business and all that, but I think you, this is going to be unpopular, I guess, with Leicester fans especially, but I think he was quite harshly um, sort of treated at Southampton considering the fact they got to the final, considering... The fact they're in the top half of the table, that's not revisionism based on where they are now. I thought at the time that that was the case as well. I guess it was a style issue there. That was what a lot of the fans were saying and it seems to be a style issue at Leicester as well. The results certainly haven't helped. Um, But I I feel a bit sorry for him because he seems to get the majority of stick because he speaks quietly. 
that seems to be the main thing that people criticise him for, the fact that they can't really hear him and that he mumbles and Claude mumble, mumbler or whatever. You know, I, I don't it really get that. It makes you wonder how that would translate into a dressing room, I suppose. That, and that, that is probably why people yeah. do question it. But surely his managerial capabilities aren't based on quite how loud he can speak. Well, I don't know. Any, anyone else got a feeling on Silent Claude, whether it's <laughs> I mean, his there's, undoing? There's some culpability for the squad here, I think. The amount of times you get stories from Leicester saying, oh, the, play, the players weren't happy with Ranieri, then the players weren't happy with Craig Shakespeare, and now they're not happy with um, Puel but they've won four Premier League games in 2018 and they were home to Huddersfield and Watford at West Brom when they were they couldn't buy a point mm. and away at Brighton which is okay um, so their their form's really tailed off quite badly so I think it started with well you know Puel was, was, was harshly treated at Southampton last season but they haven't done well since the turn of the year and also you know the, the Leicester owners should have done their due diligence on the style of football that his teams play and, and you can't then complain when that's what they do. I mean, not losing 5-0, but if, they, if they're not happy with the style, as has been over the last few months, that, that was what it said on the tin. Michael? I did feel a little bit sorry for him this weekend because it was a bit of a shambles in the second half, partly not because of him. He made two subs at half-time, then they got an injury 10 minutes into the second half, didn't have a substitute central midfielder, then had to play Harry Maguire in central midfielder, which just looked wrong because he's basically too tall to play central midfield, I think. <laughs> just looked really strange. Then Albrighton got sent off, so then they changed system. Damari Gray, I think, played four positions in about 25 minutes. Um, and I'm not sure that was completely Puel's fault. I think it was fair enough to make two subs at half-time when you're 2-0 down and things got out of control. But I can't see him being there next year. And to be honest, I think he's, he's done a good... You know, he, he kind of steadies the ship. But I think Leicester got a good squad. And I think with a, with a bit more of a... You know, maybe a younger manager, maybe someone who's a little bit more attack-minded, I think they can... You know, they're not going to go back up to challenging for the league, but they should be challenging for Europa League, I think. Two things. How tall is too tall to be a midfielder then? Well, I suppose it was the height combined with a lack of mobility. Right. I mean, Paul Pogba's tall, but he can play midfield, but he was really... You know, ponderous. If you're bringing other factors in, it's a mass issue, isn't it, with Maguire? Yeah. yeah, you know what I mean. It's not necessarily just the height; it's it's the girth of the man as well. Well, well Loftus Cheek is six foot four, isn't he? So, well, but massive. if we're talking about mass, then yes. uh, Darren Moore into Leicester? <laughs> no. Okay. Uh, we will talk about him though, because eight points in four games since Moore took over at West Brom, one nil win over Newcastle. I mean, can they? The unthinkable, can they matter? Um, no, I think uh, the oh. problem... <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, they can maintain their good form, but their problem's going to come in the fact that um, Southampton and Stoke and Swansea play each other. So yeah. those teams are going to take points off each other. So they've left it a little bit too late for, from that point of view. But I think he's a rare case of a, a caretaker manager who should get the job. Because of the turnaround that he's overseen this season, because I think there'll probably be quite a paucity of candidates who want to take the West Brom job, and because I can't see a big queue of clubs coming to pinch their players. Johnny Evans and Rondon maybe, but other than that, they're going to keep, by and large, the core of the squad that they've got now. So if he's been able to manage them successfully to this point, then then you might as well give them a go with a full pre-season. There's a couple of questions on this uh, at the Totally Show. William says there's talk of a mass exodus from West Brom. Which players actually deserve to stay in the Premier League? And Alex has pointed us towards James McLean's comments. I don't know if you, you've seen these two. He says the fans just see it as if you go down and players leave, then you're a snake or you've taken the club for a ride and this and that. But we've all got families as well. We need to look after them we've also got a career to look after as well we want to be the best we can be so it sounds like like he's, he's on his way he's yeah. leaving isn't he but, but again is there going to be a big queue for James McLean maybe no. a promoted team that comes up Jay Rodriguez I think will, will stay in the Premier League I've, I've heard clubs um, have been having a look at him and certainly he's had a, a slight upturn 
in form as well, hasn't he, towards the end of this season, which is maybe maybe timely uh, with, with teams sort of looking at their summer plans as well. I don't think West Brom can stay up, but what Darren Moore's done there, I think does deserve him to be considered, certainly, for the, for the job full-time. And Ben Foster, I noticed, speaking after the match, said that he wanted him to get it. And one of the key reasons he gave was that the players really want to play for Darren Moore. They want to do well for him. They want to fight for him. And I think when you hear that, after him being there in charge for such a short space of time, it gives you an idea of his relationship with the players, which could be key in getting them back up to the Premier League next year. There was some talk that McLean would go to, to Burnley. I don't know whether that might still be the case. How much is it that they're now playing for more or, or just didn't want to play for Pardew, Emma? I think they're playing for more, personally. I mean, you've only got to look at the bloke. Um, he's done a lot of charity work. I think he, he won a PFA award for his contribution to grassroots football. He's very humble in his interviews. He always makes a point of how grateful he is to be in the position that he is now as a manager effectively in the Premier League when you compare that to Alan Pardew's record with his controversies um, yeah whether it be headbutts um, pushing other managers I won't go any further I wonder whether Darren Moore he's very much in charge of a sinking ship I think with West Brom they are finished but in the same way that Marco Silva made a bit of a name for himself with Hull it was the same situation I think people knew they were on their way out but he got a few results there and ultimately almost sort of saved them. Um, I just wonder whether Darren Moore um, might see himself, yeah, in, in, a, in a job next year. I, I love his comments, Michael, when he, he says, we don't want to cry over spilled milk. So he's, he's saying essentially, I can't do anything about what's gone on. We've just got to keep picking ourselves for each of these games. Yeah, and he's done a really good job. And it feels like a very good fit for West Brom. Just if you go to West Brom, there's something nice. feel like a family club, like a community club. And it's a blow to go down. But I think sometimes with a club like that, and I know it's not easy to get out of the championship, but sometimes just a year of just winning games can just lift the spirit. So I'm not sure how much fun it is to, you know, win 25% of your games for six or seven seasons in mm. a row. So hopefully they'll go down and come back up because uh, I really like the Hawthorns. I think it's one of the best grounds in uh, England. Quite yeah. a few West Brom fans have said that. I've, there's, a, there's a fellow at work who, who's a very passionate West Brom fan who, who sort of said when Tony Pulis was in charge, I just want to change it. You know, I don't want to watch this football anymore. I don't even mind if we get relegated because I, I want to see my team attacking, playing well, exciting football and winning football matches again. It might be a case of be careful what you wish for, but on the other hand, it might be a, a case of them going down, building again, getting the feel-good factor back around mm. the Hawthorns to, to use a massive cliche and then and then bouncing straight back up, you know. The old boing boing done it there before and yeah. know what they're doing. It, Matt, though, when you look, they've got Spurs at home and then Palace away. The, the big problem is that everyone else seems to be winning around them, apart from Huddersfield at the moment in, in all sorts of problems, losing 2-0 to Everton. Yeah, I mean, if you wanted a game uh, to play as a team that needed a win, it, it should be Everton at home at this stage of the season with what's going on there. But... Um, Huddersfield, they failed to score in 19 Premier League games this season. I, I like uh, the atmosphere that you get there. I like the history of the club. But I think on the pitch, they've not offered very much in the Premier League um, this season. They've only won one of the last seven. Uh, their top scorer has got seven goals, Mounier. They're a very defensive team. Um, I think their their transfer business wasn't great. They bought a lot of players for sort of mid-level money, people like Tom Ince and Mounier and De Poitre, whereas maybe they would have been better trying to go for a couple of uh, bigger signings or even just a couple of more well-known championship players. You're talking about a team that came up with a negative goal difference, winning a playoff final after a 0-0 draw on penalties. Um, so they should have been able to see that they were going to have this problem this season. Yeah, they've um, not fixed it, have they? They no. just can't score I for Toffee. 
Genuinely, the last three matches, City away, Chelsea away, Arsenal at home. I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't get a point from that. They've got to hope that Arsenal get to the Europa League final and Chelsea aren't still playing for fourth. That's the only chance they've got of getting anything from either of those two games. Even then. Even then. Minus 29, I think, their goal differences, which is the second worst in, in the division, which maybe tells you a story of exactly how their season's gone, despite the fact they've managed to, to get wins and get points uh, here and there. But you look at sort of Southampton's final matches, and I actually do think that if they get three points, in those those games they'll probably stay up on goal difference looking at the run-in as well Southampton just three points behind Huddersfield at the moment and uh, we've talked about Huddersfield's um, run-in but Southampton they've certainly got some winnables in there um, what with Everton up next um, and and then Swansea so that gap can be closed for sure I do want to talk about West Ham because I think they've been dragged into it but just briefly Southampton that was the tensest last five minutes of a football game that I've seen this season and I've sat through plenty in the National South Michael that, that I mean that had it didn't it that last five minutes is it going to go in there's a save as a bar yeah that was a really good game um and it was very tense at the end it was nice to see Tadic playing well because I think on on his day he's one of the most exciting attackers in the in the league just hasn't been hasn't been his day enough this season um but I think Southampton suddenly I'd kind of written them off and now I fancy they're going to stay up and like Ian uh, I think Huddersfield are, are going down anyone else see you away from that Southampton have got goals in them which is the yeah. difference you know they've scored two in three of their last four matches well now they've got goals in them yeah well I mean not from their strikers <laughs> <laughs> you know I get Carrillo record signing wasn't he in January wasn't even in the squad again this weekend um, but they're scoring goals so yeah they, they've got a good chance Stoke probably left it too late so yeah, maybe Southampton and Huddersfield to swap places but Swansea aren't aren't safe yet either but it's, it's not just goals as well McCarthy that save he made in the in the dying moments, and even prior to that, there were a couple of others as well. Um, he so surprised I'm, himself, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure they'll take confidence in that. And equally, um, I think the, in the fashion that they'd lost to Chelsea previously, I think there was worry there that the way that they'd lost from a winning position, the going forward then in, into games, that their confidence would be knocked. But I think in the same way, the result they've just had can work the other way, and that they'll mm. take some real confidence um, out of this, and and knowing that. When it comes to it, they do have the tools in there and they've got goals, as we've said. Well, Matt, Michael, you've, you've got the, the perfect view on both of these because you were watching the Chelsea-Swansea game and then, Michael, you were watching the West Ham City debacle. West Ham, but they look like a, a team right in the brown stuff. Yeah, when I saw the team sheet and it was Ever and Zabaleta in the wide defensive positions against Sané and Sterling, I thought, oh dear, this could be a cricket score. Um yeah, there was just nothing about West Ham to get excited about, really. They had they were a little bit unlucky with the disallowed goal through Arnautovic, which I didn't think was a foul on Edson at all. But defensively, they were just really poor. They played really narrow. And I think against past kind of Guardiola teams, that was what you did. You packed the centre because mm. that's what Barcelona wanted to do. But City is so good at going down the flanks with Walker and Sterling. And even with De Bruyne, who plays in central midfield, but is so good at going into those kind of... David Beckham positions, I'd say, and whipping crosses into the box. And it was a good demonstration of what City are all about in that combination play down the right. And uh, Raheem Sterling, again, I, I think he's had a really good season. I think he was unlucky not to get the young player of the, the year award ahead of um, Sané, his teammate. But he was just so good yesterday. And, and for such a quick player, I love the way that he slowed things down and he waited for teammates to support him. And he's just got everything now. He can dribble, he can score, he can play the uh, final pass. But uh, yeah, West Ham just had no answer to them. Does anyone want to make the case for West Ham? David Moyes does. Uh, there are other teams who'd rather be in our position, he says, but they've got a, a worse goal difference than relegation rival Southampton, only two better off than Swansea, and it's the 15th time that they've shipped at least three goals. They've got Leicester next, though, and that's a mm. decent fixture. 
now. I mean, it's at the king power, but you would expect them, who wouldn't expect, but you'd think they're capable of getting something from that or maybe Everton at home, despite the Allardyce factor on the um, on the last day. I think they've got just enough. That It's obviously been a wretched season for West Ham for for numerous reasons. Um, I wouldn't expect to see David Moyes as manager there next Sean Dyche? Would Sean Dyche want to go to West Ham? Probably not, I wouldn't I wouldn't have thought. I mean, there's potential there in terms of their stadium is big, but it, it's not a stadium which anybody enjoys going to, least of all their supporters. Um, yeah, they they could struggle again next season, West Ham, but they've, they've done, they have enough points at the moment and their fixtures are kind enough for the remainder of the season that they should just about stay up, I think. Chelsea with that 1-0 winner at Swansea. Matt, not the most exciting for you to go and watch. But... No, it wasn't, um, but the weather didn't help. I mean, it was raining buckets, which was which made it very difficult um, and maybe contributed to Andy King's loose touch from being kind um, to set up Fabregas for the goal. Um, 50 Premier League goals for Fabregas, only the third Spanish player to, to reach that. I was quite surprised to learn that, and it was his first since August. But I was really disappointed uh, with Swansea. They were far too passive. Um, it seemed like the, the setup of the team was wrong. It was difficult for them without, obviously, Tammy Abraham was ineligible and, and Bonnie's injured. Um, so they went with the two IU brothers. But they didn't lay a glove on Chelsea. They didn't have a serious attempt at goal until the last 10 minutes of the game. And you sort of wonder whether they're thinking their last three are away at Bournemouth, then home to Southampton and Stoke. You sort of wonder if they're thinking, well, we're unlikely to get anything from this match. Let's try and, you know, conserve a bit of energy or keep the score down or whatever it is. But uh, to say that they'd beaten Liverpool and Arsenal at the Liberty in 2018, you thought they would have attacked the game with a bit more gusto. But as I say, it was a, a strangely passive performance and, and sort of speaks to the fact that their form has, has dropped off a cliff in the last month or two. Thank goodness you mentioned Liverpool because I know you all want to talk about Liverpool Stoke, don't you? Mm. That's coming up. Listeners, if you want to combine your knowledge of the footy with your knowledge of the footsie, then you need to get yourself over to the Football Stock Market Football Index. Football Index is a new way to profit from your knowledge of the Premier League, League One, Serie A, La Liga and beyond. Buy and sell players, build a portfolio, earn dividends and sell at a profit. Because you listen to the Totally Football Show, you can try Football Index and trade up to £1,000 entirely risk-free. Just head to footballindex.co.uk, enter the promo code TOTALLY and if you don't love Football Index, you'll get a full refund with their seven-day money-back guarantee. Download the app or play online at footballindex.co.uk and become a football trader today. T's and C's apply. You must be over 18. Deposit required and please trade responsibly. Well, if you've stayed with us this long, then it's only right and fair that we reward you with plenty of chat around Liverpool nil, Stoke nil. On to the Champions League, Michael. (laughs) For Liverpool, off the back of that that great match against Stoke at, at the weekend, toes up. Tails up, roll on Roma. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's obviously a huge game. I think Liverpool go there with a massive advantage. I've been surprised at how negative people have been about the fact they conceded two late goals. They won by three clear goals in a, in a European semi-final. Um, I can't see them not scoring again. Roma will change system. They're not going to play three at the back, but the fact that they'll play four still means it's going to be Kolarov isolated against Salah. I think that's going to bring goals. Um, yeah, I think Liverpool would have to mess this up quite spectacularly to have any chance of Roma going through, I, th- I think Liverpool... I mean, and not even Barcelona would do that, would they? No, they wouldn't. I mean, I think uh, I think Barcelona can have off days where they don't score. And I, I just can't see that happening with Liverpool. Well, they just... I found it intriguing that scoring five at home was seen as some sort of like score that left the tie in the balance. Like, No, 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 guys, they've scored five goals against them. If they score one away from home 
um, you know, or two away from home. However, even I'm doing it now. If they're gonna win, they're gonna win the tie. You know, even if they don't win in Rome, I don't see it being an issue at all for Liverpool. To be honest, well, because Emma, the brilliant thing for Liverpool is they only play that one way: attack, attack, attack. Well, yeah, Joe Gomez um, prior to this game has come out and said the best form of defence is attack. I think that sums up Liverpool quite nicely, doesn't it? They should they should get through, shouldn't they? Uh, but as we've said, it is the year of the comeback. We've seen it done. And I don't know if you remember that Liverpool game against Sevilla earlier in the season. So Liverpool do have that slight fragility about them still. Um, but I do think up top, they're probably going to make up for that. I think they're probably just going to have to survive um, some first half pressure. I think you can certainly see Roma coming at them early on, especially with the, the way that the last leg ended. I'm sure Roma will be hoping they can keep that momentum up. But I think if Liverpool can survive that and, and get the first goal, they're over the line. It's all, it's all we want, Matt, isn't it? We're going to score more than you. Yeah, that's what football should be about, really. I wonder if, um, I think the answer to this is probably none, but the fact that it's been announced this morning that Klopp's assistant, Zelko Buvac, I hope I've said that, Right is um, is is not going to be around for the rest of the season. He's he's taken initially the stories this morning were that they'd had a row those two, but now um, I've just looked at it again and apparently he's not going to be around till the end of the season for personal reasons. I don't know. I know he's quite a big part of the preparations for matches. Klopp calls him the brains. Yeah, doesn't he? yeah. So you know, if, if you're losing your brains going into the second leg, they've been together a long time as well, haven't they? I think they worked together at Dortmund and, and Mainz as well. And I, sort of reading um, this morning some of the articles from the the lads who are really well connected at, at Liverpool that they were sort of saying that you know it's not ideal timing in any way shape or form obviously but they were sort of saying about how important uh, this guy is to Jurgen Klopp and what Liverpool have achieved this season J- just one note on the defence before we do anything um, anything else I- I've been quite impressed with Liverpool's defending lately I-, I know they've shipped those two late goals in the in the first leg and I know that they've had moments and blips here and there but generally speaking since the turn of the year, I think I've said it on the show before, the defence has been pretty good, actually. The defensive record is, is, is pretty good. It's because uh, Virgil's gone in and he's actually talking to his keeper and talking that to that back four and uh, so much better organised. Who will they face? The other semi-final, Real 2-1 up after that first leg in Germany against Bayern. Matt, which way? Or who's going to face Liverpool then if we're all decided they are in that, in that final? It's a really difficult game to call this because I don't think, well, I don't think either t- team can play as badly as they did in the first leg, but in particularly Bayern. Um, and there's something about Real Madrid this season which, you know, they, they've got an ageing squad. I, I'd still just favour Madrid um, and, and maybe to be as basic as they've got Ronaldo. Make 10 changes at the weekend, Zidane. Well, no, I'm, I'm not surprised, no. No, I think I think he has to, they have to put so much focus on this second leg, don't they? And so many people say that you know the fans there they're not even they're not even that bothered about La Liga when it comes to the last stages of the Champions League. That could be because Barcelona have uh, have won it again. But um, yeah, in terms of the mood there, I think I think that's sensible. Big asterisk next to it all is that Isco's injured. Yeah, well, that's the interesting thing to see whether Bale comes back. And I've got a sneaky suspicion he won't, even though Vasquez looks like he's going to have to play right back because Carvajal's still out. So I think Zidane might go with Benzema and Ronaldo um, and then Asensio in the final third, which on form is probably the right way to go. Championship football next up. Watford, uh, your one true love. You've you've ridden through the, the leagues, the championship at, at least, with Watford previously, Emma. Although now your head is being turned by Fulham, I hear. Yes, I wondered where you were going with that championship segueing into Watford. Hang on a minute. I know we're not mathematically safe, Caroline. (laughs) Uh, Yes, Fulham somehow still third on a run of 23 unbeaten. 
they could well finish it 24. They got Birmingham City on the last day and they still might not get automatically pr- promoted. It's so tight. They're a, they're a point behind Cardiff at the moment. But the football that team plays, maybe I'm biased. I've seen a lot of them this season. I'm London-based, um, but they're outstanding. As, as a footballing side, I know everyone goes about Ryan Sessegnon. Don't get me wrong, incredible player. The the talent that young man has. I think he's played in every single one of their matches bar one. In that one that he began on the bench, they brought him on after 50, 55 minutes. Sure enough, they had the lead again. Um, There's reason enough to stay with the club that you're at, that you're enjoying and just ride out well, the season. Well, yeah, I'm sure the Fulham fans are, are going to hope so anyway. But it's not just him. From Bettinelli in goal right up to Mitrovic up top, they've just got oceans of talent in that side. Um, and as we said, they may not even get automatically promoted to despite this incredible run they're on. You've got a bit of a curse around you, given that you were at Fulham for Sunderland's last match with Chris Coleman in charge. Yes, I know. Sad scenes there for him uh, in the tunnel area, uh, actually, after I saw him embracing a lot of the Fulham colleagues that are still at the club, that, of course, must have been there when he was. But he certainly did have a little bit of a look of doom and gloom on his face. Kit Simons, as well, uh, made an appearance out of the dressing room after sort of showing his face, smiling to people that he recognised too. But as I've said, there was certainly a cloud hanging over them. And I think at that point, with all the turmoil going off the pitch there, sadly, that was probably quite inevitable, his departure. But I was also there when Felix Magat got the sack later on that evening. So there's something to do with me being at Fulham and managers being sacked, but I think Slavisha Kanovic is probably safe for now. Yeah, Slav's all right. He'll do okay. Chris had a bit of a lucky escape, really, hasn't he? You think? Yeah, because it'd be very difficult to get Sunderland out of League One. I know they announced the takeover as well, but um, speaking as a, a supporter of a team who spent three inglorious seasons in League One trying to get out of it. It's not easy and he he can get away now with people saying, oh, he was unlucky to lose his job. I mean, he Mm. took it in December so it's almost been a free hit for him when he's taken a team down, you know, especially if he's had a payoff, which presumably he has. He might look upon it as not the worst thing that's ever happened. His reputation hasn't been damage to the point that it would be if we're in November next season and Sunderland are 16th in League One. Stuart Donald, formerly of Eastleigh in the National League, part of the consortium that's going in to take over Sunderland, subject to approval, of course, and Chris Coleman on his way. We'll have loads more on that on the Totally Football League show with Ian McIntosh on Tuesday. He'll be joined in the studio by Matt Stanger and also a random Chelmsford City fan. Don't know who that is. Um, Matt as I'm, I'm directing my whole body towards you at this point in time. Uh, we mentioned Parts Unknown at the top of the show, which is your show. What's coming out in the latest episode? All right, so we are talking WrestleMania 31 this week. It will drop on Wednesday. Um, I'm getting blank looks around the room. But... I know, we should explain it's a wrestling podcast. <laughs> uh, that's why he's doing it. Yeah, yeah. Um, we Yeah, so WrestleMania 31, uh, I'm sure you remember Sting's debut, his only, well, his only WrestleMania match, as it turned out. Uh, Seth Rollins shockingly cashing in the Money in the Bank briefcase in the main event after, after Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns had had a real sort of 12-minute ding-dong. Um, and Rusev rolling in on a tank as well. Uh, very memorable stuff. So, yeah, that's me, Anton Tolui, Dr. Carrie Dunn of this parish, uh, and Carl Anker with producer Ben chipping in every so often as well. Um, yeah, wrestling. It is the, the greatest form of entertainment that you are not currently watching. You have double thumbs up from Ian, so that's worth it. A final word on the wrestling, though. Your moral compass has just had a bit of a dry run for the 2022 Qatar World Cup, hasn't it? Yeah, Explain. it totally has. They put on a show, um, WWE in Saudi Arabia, on um, Friday night. Uh, they weren't allowed any of the female wrestlers to even go over, let alone perform at the event. Women were allowed to attend, but they had to sit in certain sections. Obviously, Saudi Arabia's got a, a horrendous human rights record, so it was a pretty 
difficult thing to watch. I did end up um, watching it, but only after I've made a couple of charitable donations to try and assuage my guilt. But it it did make me think about Qatar and the World Cup in 2022. Um, this was a one-off event. Uh, well, they might go back next year or whatever, but it's not you know a month-long tournament like Qatar is. Um, I think I'm going to struggle to certainly to enjoy that World Cup and maybe to watch it as well. Anyone else want their guilt assuaged? You can listen to Parts Unknown with Matt and the team. Listeners, do you like shaving and looking smooth and clean? Yes! But do you enjoy having to go to the shops for new razors and other shaving supplies? No! Well, Cornerstone gives you everything you need for a great shave and they'll deliver it all right to your door. Cornerstone's super sharp, award-winning blades are engineered in Germany, which is always a good sign, and their range of balms, creams and exfoliators are all environmentally friendly, alcohol-free and suitable for the most sensitive skin. Get £10 off your first order and check out the range for yourself at cornerstone.co.uk slash totally and find out why tens of thousands of men have switched over to Cornerstone. Back to the football then, Mr Michael Cox. And Europe decided, or at least almost, most of the places. Oh, well, it was a big weekend in Syria. We thought it was going to be a big weekend. I thought it was going to be the weekend when Napoli took command of the league. In the end, it was seemingly the weekend that Juventus won it. Um, with that game on Saturday night, the 3-2 win over Inter, which I think is probably the best game I've seen all season, actually, when you take into account the decisive nature of the result. What happened? Well, what happened is Juventus won 3-2, but that's not really the story. The story is that Juventus uh, went 1-0 up very early on. Inter then went down to 10 men because Vecino got sent off. And you thought, Juve, 1-0 up, 11 against 10, it's Juventus, they're not going to lose this. And then they just completely collapsed midway through the first half until about 70 minutes. They were absolutely dreadful. Inter, with 10 men, got back into the game, went 2-1 ahead. And were leading 2-1 with 87 minutes on the clock. And then Juventus, who hadn't really threatened, got quite a lucky goal. Deflect, a very deflected goal through Quadrado. And it was one of those where you thought if they get the first goal, they will get the second goal. And the very next attack, fully 60, 70 seconds after the equaliser, Higuain heads in the winner. Of course, Higuain, you know, a man who's often criticised for not doing it on the big occasion, a man who was signed from Napoli, is seemingly the one who took the league title away from Napoli. So pretty much done and dusted then. Well, I think so, because Napoli, I wonder whether it affected them, because Napoli then went to Fiorentina the next day. The irony here is that Fiorentina, of course, really hate Juventus, and a lot of people, myself included, thought that, you know, Italy being Italy, they might be uh, might be a little bit inclined to let Napoli win that one. But they went down to 10 men early. Koulibaly got sent off, the man who headed the winner the previous week, and then um, young Giovanni Simeone, uh, son of Diego, scored a hat-trick for Fiorentina. So that's now a four-point gap, and I can't really see Napoli getting it back from that, which is a great shame because I think they've played the most entertaining football I've seen in Europe for years, since Pep Guardiola's Barcelona. They've been absolutely wonderful, but uh, they're not going to get that trophy. Talking of entertaining, uh, step forward Scotland, not Celtic wrapping up their seventh successive league title, but the only way that Rangers could usurp them, which is the leaked news about Steven Gerrard. Yeah, I think this is potentially a really good move for Steven Gerrard. Is it? Yeah, um, it's it's a difficult, obviously it's difficult to make up the ground on Celtic. They've got the Champions League funds and whatever. But if he is judged moderately successful, he has a much better chance of getting a Premier League job than if he'd taken the MK Dons job. You know, even if he'd got them out of League One 
and into the championship that wouldn't have been enough to persuade a Premier League chairman I don't think to um, to prove that he can do it but if he can get you know again if he like with Sean Dyche if he gets Rangers into the Europa League and does a reasonable job with them if he gets them uh, you know cuts the gap on Celtic wins the Scottish Cup something like that and he's getting the experience of managing what is a giant club. You know, he's used to obviously the fishbowl existence of being a Liverpool player. But if he's got ambitions to manage Liverpool, and Jurgen Klopp doesn't look like he's going anywhere in the near future, then Range is actually quite a good grounding for him to get that. So I think I think he should be um, positive about it. Although it is obviously based on what we saw yesterday, a pretty ginormous challenge that he's got. Good. Uh, Spain then Barcelona done dusted expected. Yeah, it was just a matter of time, and it means that they'll get a guard of honour when they go to uh, Real Madrid, which I think is next week. Yeah, it was a bit of a scrappy win over Deportivo, but uh, Messi scored a hat-trick, assisted all three goals were assisted by Suarez, and that's really what Barca have been about this year. It's not the free-flowing you know, champagne football that we're used to. The midfield hasn't been particularly impressive. I know Iniesta's got a lot of plaudits, but I think he's probably three or four years past his best. It's really been about Messi in the number 10 role. And Suarez, who was, it must be said, really dreadful before Christmas. I mean, just in terms of mobility, in terms of finishing, he was offering nothing. But in the last few months, they've been incredible together. Um, and that's really what's won them the the title, really, those two individuals. Scrappy because Depor needed, I mean, they needed a winter state or any chance of surviving, didn't they? Yes, and it looks like they're doomed now, which is very sad for those of us who remember them winning the title in 2000, I think, but I think it's about the fourth time they've gone down since then. So I need to stop being sad when, whenever this team that was good 20 years ago goes down. <laughs> there was a bit of a chuckle there, so I don't know how sad yeah. that was, but clearly you are. Oh, De- Tristan, I feel for. I really do feel for Diego Tristan. Before we leave Spain, uh, Sevilla sack Montella, surprised at that? Yeah, the Montella one's strange. I mean, he only came in halfway through the season, um, did achieve some very good results, including the win over United, of course. Um, I think he's a really good manager, Montella. Um, but he did great, really great work at Fiorentina, Montella. And I thought Sevilla were in a kind of a club in a similar position, I guess, a similar stature as well. But um, I always think it's harsh to sack a manager, unless it's been a complete disaster, when they haven't had a pre-season. Because, you know, as managers always say, that's when you get everything in place. That's when you can get your own players in, your own training regime in, your own fitness regime in. So I I can't really see the point in that sacking, to be honest. And talking of sackings then, to France we head next. Emery confirming that it's not a sacking, but he's leaving PSG. Yeah, I guess that was kind of a poorly kept secret. I think he'll go back to Spain and I wouldn't be surprised if he goes to Sevilla, actually, because oh. I still think he's a very good manager. Maybe not the right manager for PSG because he's he's a kind of studious, he's a, you know, he's he's someone who basically wants players to play roles rather than wants players to be themselves. And I think PSG with their superstars needs someone, you know, like a Carlo Ancelotti figure who was very good there who just kind of let them do their own thing never go back though right if you win three Europa Leagues in a row yeah maybe we'll have to wait and see but I'm not sure which other clubs really will be in for him I think Sevilla's the probably the biggest club he can get Leon moving above Monaco into second uh, Monaco drawing nil-nil in their match they're having a bit of a, a stinker of a run of late yeah five without a win I think it is now Caroline <laughs> anything else we should know about in in European football uh, young boys wrapped up the title in Switzerland, which is their first league uh, for 31 years, I think. Um, I think it's probably more interesting because Basel had won it eight years in a row. And there was a really big problem in Switzerland in the sense that they were the club just getting the Champions League revenue every year, investing in good players and winning the league by 30 points again. So be interesting to see what happens now that their stranglehold has been broken. I missed out the, the perfect compliment to you doing all your European football chat, which did you know it's International Jazz Day, everyone? 
Yeah, we, we yeah. ought to have known that. Are we right we? across that, Caroline. Yeah. Given where we are, I thought they'd be making more of a uh, more of a, an occasion of it. <laughs> Song and dance about yeah. it. You could say. <laughs> yeah, quite. <laughs> well, in recognition of that, not your joke, but the fact that it is International Jazz Day, let's hear just a little bit, shall we? That's the jazz and and the football for now done. Time to get the odds from Paddy Power with producer Ben. Thank you, Caroline. I'm here with Lee Price from Paddy Power. Lee, happy International Jazz Day. Happy International Jazz Day. One of my favourite days of the year. Now, Lee, enough about jazz. Let's talk about the football. Champions League semi-final second legs this weekend. Liverpool, they're 5-2 up. They're in Rome, though. I have a feeling that they're going to lose this game but win the tie. Do you agree? I think this is really smart, and I'm disappointed that you come up with such a smart bet because I like to mock your bets. But this is possibly the only way to find value in this match, I think. Liverpool are huge, 1-25 to to progress, obviously. Uh, Roma just to win the second leg, though, is 7-5, to which is more interesting. Double that together with Liverpool to progress overall, and you probably get around 2.5-1. to uh, It sounds like a smart bet, Ben. Well done. All right, well, if you like the sound of that, how about this one? In the Europa League, I think that Arsenal are going to lose by three goals. What do the market say? Uh, interesting. Um, it would certainly bury the Southern Arsene Wenger Appreciation Society, wouldn't it? Uh, this is arguably the biggest game of his career, though, at least the last five years. Uh, and it's a final stab at redemption. I hope he takes him to Europa League glory as a massive two fingers up to the entire world. But there's anyone better at that than him. It's Diego Simeone, Diego Costa and Atletico Madrid. They're 17-2 to two to beat Arsenal by three goals. All right, well, let's stick with Arsenal for just a couple of seconds longer. Um, I noticed that they're, they're going to be losing their manager at the end of the season. Um, what about Roy Hodgson, who's performing miracles, and he lives in London? Crikey, they changed the manager. I must have missed that one. Um, Roy Hodgson has done an amazing job at Crystal Palace, and he would be 33-1 to to get the Arsenal job, which is mad, but does put him alongside the likes of Conte, LVG and Simeone in the betting. The new favourite, though, is Juventus' Allegri at 3-1, to perhaps because he's beaten Tottenham this season. Well, that, that, sounds, that sounds about right. OK, let's, uh, let's go back to the Premier League then um, and the bottom of the table. Now, uh, you've already paid out on West Brom going down, but is Darren Moore going to make you look, look really, really stupid? In a word, no. We literally aren't offering bets on West Brom to go down anymore. We're that sure it's happened. As you say, we've paid out on them going down. We've also paid out on Stoke going down, so we're quite content with where we're at. But Darren Moore's doing a great job and I'm sure he'll be a good manager in the championship well you can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com 18 plus only be gambleaware.org and when the fun stops stop almost time for us to stop a couple of your questions to the totally show james says gigs rightly mocked for lacking experience when linked to big jobs after a few games as united manager one season as a player coach and two as assistant why is a few months in charge of the under 18s good enough experience for gerard at a massive club like Rangers says James. Well, I mean, Gerard's got all his coaching badges for one thing. I don't know if Ryan Giggs had that. Giggs sat alongside Louis van Gaal for a couple of seasons, didn't he? So he didn't actually take control of picking the team and sorting the tactics and formations. But it's a valid point. It is a valid point. But, you know, he's Steven Gerrard, so he jumps the queue. Michael uh, Gotems says, can you tell us what type of manager would be more suitable for Arsenal's needs in the near future? 
Yeah, I just think they need someone who broadly plays the, the same style of football, but has a little bit more attention to detail, maybe has slightly more modern coaching sessions. Um, you know, I think Arteta and Luis Enrique are the two favourites at the moment. I think that makes a lot more sense than Simeone, which I think would require an overhaul of the squad that would take absolutely years. Um, so, yeah, I think Luis Enrique is the, the obvious choice. Uh, the tweeting seagull asked earlier what we think of the new playoff system used by the National League and should the EFL implement it? Does everyone know what's happening? Yes. There's an extra team been added. Second and third kind of go straight through to the semi-finals. There's only one team goes up automatically. The rest then play off in this sort of preliminary playoffs before getting to the semi-finals. So they all play another game first. So in theory, the teams that finish second and third aren't going to be as knackered as the time it comes to the semi-finals weekend. Then they play the winners of those before. They all head through to the final. Someone wins and they go up. That's essentially it. The EFL, should it happen there? Good. I've blown all no, your no, minds I, away. I don't think it should. I think it's a bit too complex. But I do like the system they use in non-league. I, I support an Isthmian League team and the playoff system there, where you play one leg at the home of the team who finish higher, makes a lot more sense to me. So if you were to use that in the championship, it'd be third against sixth, one leg at the home of third, because that rewards you for coming higher in the league. That, anyone, makes, that makes more sense to me. Anyone that knows me knows that I'd like to just scrub the last hour and a half and talk to you for about three hours about the Ishmael League and the rights and wrongs of. Yeah, we can't. No. We can't. I'd like to. Yeah. No. Uh, Michael, thank you. Emma, thank you. Uh, thanks for not dressing up as well. It, it, by that, I mean the Harry Potter outfit. <laughs> <laughs> you, you oh, that was Cassie Caroline. Oh, right I didn't say anything. No, Ian's not saying anything. I didn't utter a word. You were the only one I gave applause to when you walked in, Emma. Uh, and you'll be applauding me uh, slow clap as I walk out. Uh, Ian, thank you for not dressing up. Uh, and Matt, too, the next game we can hear you on? Uh, FA Youth Cup final tonight. Uh, second leg, Chelsea leading Arsenal. 3-1 from the first leg uh, so Arsenal got it all to do but interesting interesting game with um, lots of really good young promising English players and one really good young promising English coach in Jody Morris who could be the next Stephen Gerrard yeah I think I enjoyed the Lycra chat more thank you to everyone <laughs> keep your comments coming at The Totally Show The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Listeners, around 97% of those of you who tune into The Totally Football Show are male. But despite being more likely to be diagnosed with cancer than women, men are much less likely to ask for help, even when they need it. And that's why we've teamed up with Macmillan Cancer Support to try and put that right. Cancer can affect you emotionally as well as physically. It can affect your relationships, your work and your confidence. So it's vital to seek support. Talking is an important part of dealing with cancer and Macmillan wants to make men with cancer of whatever sort more aware of this so they can be honest and open with their family and loved ones. For more information or to find support, visit macmillan.org.uk. That's M-A-C-M-I-L-L-A-N.org.uk.